Welcome to Roundtail Radio, the podcast from Roundtail Community Church. Through our conversations, we discover holy in the ordinary, find moments of grace and peace, and redefine what we're talking about. We talk about faith. Good morning, Shannon. Well, good morning, Leslie. Welcome back to Roundtail Radio. Thank you. It's always good to be here with you. Oh, we're so glad to have you back. So we're talking about a sermon series that you are bringing to Roundtail Community Church. But um, as in any topic, these topics are so universal. Mm-hmm. Um, that we thought we'd bring it onto the podcast, not only for our in-house community, but for our international community. Um, and it's called the tw- uh, Spirituality of 12 Steps. Do yes. I have that right? Yes. So why why did you feel called to do this? What, what brought you to this place? Thank you for that question. So 12-step work mm-hmm. is commonly known in 12-step groups from Alcoholics Anonymous mm-hmm. and Al-Anon Overeaters Anonymous, all sorts of 12-step groups. Mm-hmm. It's been around for decades. Yeah. Um, I decided to do this because not only as a pastor in a church where there have been 12-step groups sure. that have been so disconnected from the congregational life that right. I thought, well, is there any interception here, any mm-hmm. overlap? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and number two, because on March 20th of this year, I'm celebrating 29 years of sobriety. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank That's you. amazing. And eight years before that, I went into Al-Anon. So I have some experience in both Al-Anon and Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. But actually was sober 30 years ago. So um, I, having been in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and in Al-Anon, mm-hmm. there is such deep spirituality that I thought uh, it's important to let the average person in the pew, whether or not they've been affected by alcohol or not in their family system, which we'll get to some statistics later on. Yeah. So many people have. So why not talk about it as a normal part of life? Sure. So that's that. And then I've also done, in addition to my own personal work around it, um, when I was a news reporter, I did some stories on the effect of alcoholism. So kind of bringing in that piece of the spiritual piece into news reporting. So I did a um, one series on, or it was a a story actually, um, that focused on the daughter of a doctor, prominent doctor in Westchester, and the daughter became a heroin addict. And her bottom, if you will say, you know, before she came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, was actually stealing her father's morphine as he was dying. Oh my goodness. And so you'd never know that from her this many years later, right. I mean, you'd see her and think, wow, what an amazing woman. But yeah. she has an incredible story. Yeah. And then I did a story, too, on when cops let other cops drive drunk and the protection mm-hmm. around it and the codependency that happens and how that can actually cost someone tremendously. So right, right. it's I've come at it from a, a couple of different angles. And why not talk about it in church? Yeah, why not talk about it? And I know colloquially that, you know, you we were hearing through this pandemic, that that was becoming a, re- a way that a lot of people found to cope to Indeed. the stress to the isolation to not have anything else to do. Right. You know, this became even more of a, a common thing of what was already, I think, 
from what I understand, pretty common. And there's such shame oftentimes around uh, substance use sure. that people don't necessarily want to talk about it until yeah. they have to. Yeah. And so, for instance, my husband's a therapist, and he found that to be true in his practice. Yeah. That you know people sometimes would even pass out while they were in the session. Wow. Uh, that just you know there was so much that was brought up for people internally during sure. the, during this time. Yeah. But also smoke, people smoking weed. A lot of people just handling their stress and then getting hooked on marijuana mm-hmm. um, because they were so stressed out from right. the isolation. Um, so someone once told me the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's actually connection. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about, you know, I've loosely defined spirituality as, from what I've heard, as connection with God, self, and others. Yeah. So sobriety can actually allow con- connection that we all long for. Right. And so looking at this, what what's... How are you shaping these four sermons? So I'm doing, I'm basically going through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and doing four of the steps each week. And so the first part will be this coming Sunday and it will be um, on steps one through four. And then, you know, we'll go on from there Mm -hmm. all the way to, you know, and we're taking some time in between each one text will be available for people to kind of go back and look because I quote from the big book in it mm-hmm. um, that from the founders, Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob. And um, so that people can go and kind of think about it. And if they have questions in between, it's just, yeah. it just would be too much kind of to do it all at once. Do it all at once. Um, is it called the big book? It's called the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's yeah. a great title. I, <laughs> I like that. That's very friendly. And it really was almost like, you know, we talked about the scripture being divinely inspired. Yeah, it really yeah. was from that too. And in the back of that book, mm-hmm. in addition to going through all of the steps, there are stories of people. And it's been updated over the last, I'd say probably 10 years or so, mm-hmm. uh, with current stories of people and how they found sobriety. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's kind of tried and true. And, you know, I will say at the beginning that there are lots of ways to get sober and that 12-step sobriety is one way. But the thinking was, or is, among professionals that um, there that's not the only way anymore. It used to be kind of more hardcore of you do it this way or not. Right. But there are many paths to sobriety. Sure. This is one way. Sure. And, and so with... With Alcoholics Anonymous, that's that's a community-based experience, right? That is sort yes. of already that connection. Yes. Um, would it be appropriate to ask what goes on in those meetings yeah. in yeah. a general way? Sure. So what are those so like? It's um, it's a peer-to-peer group. There's no leader. That's So there are traditions in that. And one of them is that there's no leader. There's no religion that's spoken of. It's more... There's... as um, the big book talks about there's a broad, roomy highway ready to ex- include people of all different backgrounds. And um, so generally, depending on what type of meeting it is, and there are open meetings and there are closed meetings. Open meetings would be anyone can go. Mm-hmm. Closed meetings are for people who identify as an alcoholic, for AA, or as um, a person who qualifies in al as a person who has someone in their lives who is alcoholic, so family member perhaps, mm-hmm. or it could be a child, a spouse, it could be a close friend, a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also did work in adult children of alcoholics to look at the impact 
of what growing up in an alcoholic home is, and there are specific things. So, so depending on what type of meeting it is, it could be somebody leads on one of the steps, it could be a topic, mm -hmm. and one person may share and then everybody responds with their own experience, so, and there's no crosstalk. So if someone shares their experience, you can just say thank you for sharing. Mm -hmm. um, and no one can tell you you're an alcoholic. It's a self-diagnosed um, thing. So okay. if you go in and you say, you know, the, the common terminology would be, I'm Shannon, I'm an alcoholic, and then they would respond, hi, Shannon. Mm -hmm. you know, and then, then I would share whatever I'm going to do. So, and it's sharing your own experience, strength, and hope. So people who've been in the program for a long time will share that for newcomers. They mm -hmm. encourage newcomers to come in and share what they need to and then be quiet. Um, and then it, it's over in an hour, and you put a dollar in the basket if you can, and it's the, it's the least expensive self-help <laughs> <laughs> that you can find. But yeah. it's accessible to all. And there are meetings now during the pandemic online as well mm -hmm. as in person. Sure. And yeah. Yeah. So how would, just thinking about, you know, the broad range of people we might have listening today, yeah. yes. um, if someone is thinking, maybe, maybe I'd be looking into checking that out, how mm -hmm. would they go about finding a group? So you can go to a website on Alcoholics Anonymous online, and they'll tell you where local groups are. There's okay. generally booklets when, when everybody was in person. Mm -hmm. um, you could go and you could find a meeting probably in your area. Um, probably like 10 or so in your probably within 10 minutes of driving. Right. I mean, of course, in more rural areas, it's, it's a little more sp sporadic. Sure. Um, you can also go online and find Zoom meetings. Mm -hmm. So if you did Zoom AA meetings or Zoom Overeaters Anonymous meetings or Narcotics Anonymous, you can find any of those and just you'd go on and link in and start the meeting that way. Mm -hmm. Um, so those would be two ways to just go online and find the meeting or have talk to someone that you know and see if they have a meeting book. Mm -hmm. um, and they're worldwide. I mean, that's the thing. That's, they're, unfortunately, it's, it's, not, it's not a discriminating disease. It affects right. everyone. And in fact, you know, let's talk a little bit about... Let's do it. Um, I'd looked up some statistics on the National Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence website. Mm -hmm. And just astounding to me. Uh, alcohol is the most commonly used addictive substance in the United States with 17.6 million people or one in every 12 adults wow. uh, that suffer from alcohol abuse or dependence along with several million more that engage in risky binge drinking patterns that could lead to alcohol problems. Mm. So they, the common thinking, at least it was, because I did train to become an alcoholism counselor a long time ago. Yeah. And that's when I found out I was an alcoholic. Oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> little just, egg in my face. A little self-discovery. <laughs> <laughs> I had to just roll with it. And, you know, that was the way, because I was so in my head yeah. that I couldn't identify yeah. with the things. So I finally did there. Um, it also says more than half of all adults have a family history of alcoholism or problem drinking. And more than 7 million children live in a household where at least one parent is dependent on or has abused alcohol. So the ripple effects, they call this a family disease. Right. 
And so that when you start any person in the family, mm -hmm. uh, John Bradshaw, who is a family systems um, therapist and very well-known speaker and author, um, talks about kind of like an immobile kind of a way. Okay. So that if one person in the mobile shifts, yeah. the whole system has to shift to get equilibrium again. Right, right. So if one person makes a move towards greater health and sobriety, whether that's the child that grew up, or if it's a spouse, or if it's the person themselves, mm -hmm. the system will have to adjust in some way. It right. may be really painful for a long time, or it may be not, but that's the beginning. One person making the courageous choice to get help. Yeah. Um, it also says that excessive alcohol use is responsible for 2.5 million years of potential life lost annually or an average of about 30 years of potential life lost for each death. Wow. And, you know, oftentimes people, you know, they used to, when I was trained way long ago in the 90s, in the early 90s, they talked about just being solely alcoholic. Now they've talked about more, um, they, then they called it dual diagnosis, where oftentimes people use substances to kind of even out chemistry body sure. chemistry brain chemistry yeah so that you don't just find alcoholism oftentimes it's with along with depression or anxiety or some other thing that you're trying to even out in your system sure so and and unfortunately um suicide taking people taking their lives right. you know is people do that with with substances and right. we've seen that with opioids and it's just very very tragic yeah it seems like in this country, particularly, there's just a, a, a very, it's common to, to, to hear about or know about a person who's struggling with this. Yes. Um, and and hoping to find, find some help. And what a staggering statistic about the potential life lost annually. Uh, so true. And then think about how that t is taken into car accidents. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes what's not talked about are people that have heart problems. That's exacerbated by alcohol. So they mm -hmm. may, the death certificate may say heart, right. but it's really from alcohol use. So for instance, my father died at age 57 from larynx cancer. But when you look Larynx cancer is actually from smoking and drinking to excess. Wow. So it's a more palatable way to say. Right. But he really, you know, and, and he had stopped smoking years before, but mm -hmm. he had picked up drinking um, more in his later years. I'm, well, at 57, that's not late. Right. But. No. Yeah. And it's like you said, there is such a sort of shame shadow. Yes. Above this that makes it really difficult to talk about. Which is, which is tough because you think about the people who have faced it head on and it's so courageous and so beautiful to see someone take control. Um, well, for, and that's, you bring up life. a very good point because if, you know, so the, the science has shifted in terms of how they viewed it. So mm -hmm. they view it as a medical model versus a moral choice. Right. So people can sit there and say, oh, you're morally weak because you're drinking. Right. Versus that you have a chemical imbalance that you've sought alcohol for, or you have a genetic disposition. Right. Which I'm thinking I probably did, and that's how I responded to that. Sure. Was once, and it's defined as, you know, once you, for alcohol, it's different with drugs, but mm -hmm. with alcohol, once you take that drink, you can't stop. That's yeah. that's the definition. When you walk over the line from uh, binge drinking 
into alcoholism. Mm -hmm. And they say it's not how much you drink, it's what it does to you. So normal people do not respond biochemically, for instance, to alcohol by having blackouts. So I had, a, I had blackouts in college. I didn't uh, necessarily have them later on in life, okay. but I thought, wow, that's interesting. The brain in a person who has alcoholism yeah. processes alcohol differently. Wow. Yeah. I would never have so thought that. So that takes away the shame and just says, this is more of a physical thing yeah. than a moral thing. Okay. Which brings me to my next question because that moral question, which let's be honest, I'm putting air quotes for our audio listeners. The church is really good about judging. Yes. Um, And so I think it's really interesting and and beautiful that you are bringing this into the church. And I know a lot of churches that host AA meetings. I've worked for a number of them over the years um, and are, are... encouraging yes healing and hope um instead of judgment um but historically the church has not been great about this um and so why did you feel called to talk about this Mm -hmm. on a sunday morning yeah i am sad to say that many times and and so i've you know i spent some times in fundamentalism getting away very judgmental stuff and have come more into more of a progressive um, expression of faith Um, But I have found oftentimes through my almost 30 years of sobriety that the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous have been much more loving and accepting than church. Wow. And so the question then is how can the best of, even if you're not affected by alcohol, how can the best of those meetings come into church life? Right. 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 So for instance... um, in the, in the AA program, or in 12-step program, let's just say that, we talk about alcoholism as being a physical, mental, and spiritual disease. And so while the, when you get sober, the first thing that comes back is the physical, mm-hmm. and then the emotional, and then the spiritual. So it's a gradual opening up of connecting to something greater than yourself, even though step one is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. And then step two is admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another being. No, I'm sorry, that's way later on. (laughs) Then we start talking about the spirituality, which is a a barrier for some people who've been wounded by religion. Sure. Um, There's a great book, uh, chapter in the big book called we agnostics, which mm-hmm. talks about people who just can't get there, don't think that God's going to be there for them in this time. Mm-hmm. And then um, one, of the, one of the quotes from the big book is, lack of power, that was our dilemma. And what human being hasn't struggled with wanting more power? Right. Right? Right. So for those of us who have struggled with substance use, that. And, and I can definitely say in my own life that I felt so powerless as a kid. When I drank, mm-hmm. uh, it was my chance at trying to be more powerful. You know, so it was, um, it, it gave me more ex- ability to express myself. I felt more in control. And the reality is, is it's all a fart. A farce, right? Yeah, right. So um, spirituality addresses the issue of power and powerlessness and restores the right relationship to God, ourselves, and to others. So it's bringing that piece in. And then it's another reason to do this is because shame 
and we talked, I talked some about this in the sermon, and we did it with the self-compassion retreat. Mm -hmm. Shame is a huge piece to deal with in terms of self-compassion, and who can't benefit from that? Right. Because every human being has shame messages. For sure. And shame is different than guilt. Guilt is I did something wrong, mm -hmm. and that can actually be a beneficial thing. If you've hurt someone, then you can go and repair that relationship. Shame is I am wrong, mm -hmm. and nobody is a wrong human being, right? They're not in, in inherently bad or evil. So it's looking at the difference in what is it that I've done that I can repair, and what is it that I need to excavate out of beliefs of myself that happened probably before you could even speak mm -hmm. that needs to be healed by God and reflected back in another. And that's what 12-step groups do. Hopefully, that's what church community does. So that's what I'm hoping to bring out as well. And then... Um, the big book and 12-step groups are hugely about service. And the, the, um, Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob actually started the 12-step movement by going to help another drunk. Mm. And that's what they saw getting out of ourselves and going and being of service, which is at the heart of all the major religions, right? Um, really puts that into action and gets you out of obsessing about self and yeah. giving so that somehow when you reach out, there's room for the divine to come in. Yeah. There's so many parallels there. So many. There's a great quote about that broad roomy highway. Yeah. We found that God does not make too hard terms for those who seek him. To us, the realm of spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek and that's from, that's on page 46 in We Agnostics in the big book. How lovely is that? It's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, Shannon, thank you so much for bringing this not only to Round Hill, but to uh, Round Hill Radio and discussing it with me today. I'm so grateful for this, and I'm sure really looking forward to hearing, hearing more about this over the coming weeks. Thank you. Round Hill Radio is brought to you by the friends and members of Round Hill Community Church. 